64,000 is the median number of words per book. Average person reads about 200 words per minute. Simple math will tell us that is one book in 320 minutes. To accomplish this in seven days, numbers say you would have to read for 45 minutes a day. Don't forget to subscribe. Hit that notification button, like, comment, and share. Enjoy. Hello, and happy day. How does slowing down sound to you today? Would you like to reduce the noise for just a bit? Are you ready to make a choice and decide to listen? My name is Igor S.F. Walker. I am here to remind people to slow down, to reduce the noise, to walk, their lives into a natural flow. Welcome back to the Book of the Week series. Every week as I read another amazing title, I share it with the world. Today we look at Strangers to Ourselves, Discovering the Adaptive Unconscious by Timothy D. Wilson. <clears throat> In this video we look at the extent to which people know themselves the limits of this knowledge, and the consequences of failures of self-insight. People possess a powerful, sophisticated, adaptive unconscious, which is crucial for the survival in the world. We ask why it is that people often do not know themselves very well. And how can they increase their self-knowledge? Stick around. Till the end, I will share with you some tools I have and use that will help you tremendously in this game of life. Discover a way to find out what actually motivates you. What innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. I will share some tools to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management, and relationship management. A picture has emerged of a set of pervasive, adaptive, sophisticated mental processes that occur largely out of view. Indeed, some researchers have gone so far as to suggest that the unconscious mind does virtually all the work, and that conscious will may be an illusion. <clears throat> Freud's topographic model of the mind distinguished between two types of unconscious processes. First, people have a multitude of thoughts that are simply not the focus of their current attention, such as the name of their seventh grade math teacher. This kind of information is indeed pre-conscious, Freud said, and could easily be made conscious by directing attention to it. More importantly, Freud noted that it's a vast storehouse of primitive, infantile thought that is kept out of consciousness because it is a source of psychic pain. Now, according to the modern perspective, Freud's view of the unconscious was far too limited when he said, following Gustav Fechner, an early experimental psychologist, that consciousness is the tip of the mental iceberg. 
it was short of the mark by quite a bit. It may be more the size of a snowball on top of that iceberg. The mind operates most efficiently by relegating a good deal of high-level, sophisticated thinking to the unconscious. Just as a modern jumbo jetliner is able to fly on automatic pilot with little or no input from the human conscious pilot. <clears throat> Humans possess a collection of modules that have evolved over time and operate outside of consciousness to say that we possess a sophisticated and an efficient set of non-conscious processes that are indispensable for navigating our way through the world is not to deny that there may also be dynamic forces at work keeping unpleasant thoughts out of awareness. The path to self-knowledge leads inward through careful introspection. Now, the argument goes, we can penetrate the haze that obscures our true feelings and motives. Now, no one claims that such introspection is easy. We must recognize the barriers of repression, resistance, and remove them. But when such insight is accomplished, often with an aid of a therapist, people have direct access to their unconscious desires. But here's the problem. Research on the adaptive unconscious suggests that much of what we want to see is unseeable. The mind is a wonderfully sophisticated and efficient tool, more so than the most powerful computer ever built. Even while our conscious mind is otherwise occupied, we can interpret, evaluate, and select information that suits our purposes. It is often better to deduce the nature of our hidden minds by looking outward at our behavior and how others react to us, and then coming up with a good narrative. Socrates was only partly wrong that the unexamined life is not worth living. The key is the kind of self-examination people perform and the extent to which people attempt to know themselves solely by looking inward versus looking outward at their own behavior and how others react to them. Now consider for a moment how hard it is to describe the nature of conscious experience. It is difficult for the simple reason that we cannot observe conscious states directly in anyone but ourselves. How can I be certain that my subjective experience is like yours? Now, we can try to describe our thoughts and our feelings to each other, of course, but we have no way of knowing whether the words we use are referring to the same thing as in the classic enigma of whether my experience of the color red is the same as yours. <clears throat> we would agree that consciousness can evolve a mental projection of images, because if someone says, think of a duck hound, we could easily do so. True enough, 
I've no way of knowing whether your mental image of a dockhound is anything like mine. But we could at least agree that we can both project such images in the theatre of consciousness. It is much more difficult to describe the adaptive unconscious precisely because we do not experience it firsthand. Now, if you said to me, think about the last time you made a non-conscious assumption about what another person was like, the best I could give you would be a blank stare, describing the parts of our mind that are out of view is as difficult as describing the operation of our kidneys or our pineal glands. <clears throat> Proprioception is but one of many non-conscious perceptual systems. An important role of the non-conscious mind is to organize and interpret the information we take in through our senses, transforming light rays and sound waves into the images and noises of which we are aware. We see that the chair in our bedroom is closer to us than the bureau with no idea of how our brains transform the light rays striking our retinas into a perception of depth. We couldn't be conscious without a non-conscious mind. Just as what we see on the screen of a computer could not exist without a sophisticated system of hardware and software operating inside that box. Selective attention. We are equipped with a non-conscious filter that examines the information reaching our senses and decides what to admit to consciousness. We can consciously control the settings of the filter to some degree by deciding, for example, to stop listening to the song on the radio and then scan the side of the highway for our favorite fast food joint. The operation of the filter, however, the way in which information is classified, sorted, and selected for further processing occurs outside of awareness. And that's a very good thing because it allows us to concentrate on the task at hand, such as finding a place for lunch. Instead of singing along with Smokey Robinson on the radio, the non-conscious filter does more than allow us to focus our conscious attention on one thing at a time. It also monitors what we are not paying attention to in case something important happens that we should know about. We always respond as we hear our names spoken out loud. The non-conscious mind is kind of like a computer programs that scan the internet out of sight and then sends us email messages when it comes across information that is of interest to us. Part of our minds can scan what is not the focus of our attention and then alert us when something interesting happens. The adaptive unconscious is thus more than just a gatekeeper deciding what information to admit to consciousness. It is also a spin doctor that interprets information outside of awareness. 
one of the most important judgments we make is about the motives, intentions, and dispositions of other people. And it is to our advantage to make these judgments quickly, even though emotions cause us to act irrationally and to make bad decisions. We are willing to sacrifice precision and accuracy for the richness of love, passion, and art. Who would want to live the stark, emotionless life of an android? Now, the irony of these stories is that they underestimate how valuable feelings are to thinking and decision-making. It is now clear that feelings are functional, not excess baggage that impedes decision-making. Yes, there are times when emotions blind us to logic and then lead to terrible decisions. Now, in a fit of passion, people do sometimes abandon their families and run off with their drug-addled leader of a motorcycle gang. More commonly, though, our feelings are extremely useful indicators that help us make wise decisions. The adaptive unconscious thus plays a major executive role in our mental lives. It gathers information, interprets, evaluates it, and then sets goals in motion quickly and efficiently. Now, this is a wonderful set of mental abilities to have. And if we were to lose them, we would find it very difficult to make it through the day. But how does the adaptive unconscious decide what to select, how to interpret and evaluate, and which goal to set in motion? In short, what is the agenda? It turns out that self-relevance isn't quite the right way to describe how the adaptive unconscious decides what is important and not. Rather, the decision rule is how accessible a particular idea or a category is. Accessibility is somewhat technical psychological term that refers to the activation potential of information in memory. When information is high in activation potential, it is energized and is to be used. When it is low in activation potential, it is unlikely to be used. To select and then interpret into information in one's environment. Accessibility is determined not only by the self-relevance of the category, but also by how recently it has been encountered. Just as we possess a potent physical immune system that protects us from threats to our physical well-being, so do we possess a potent psychological immune system that protects us from threats to our psychological well-being. When it comes to maintaining a sense of well-being, each of us is the ultimate spin doctor. The conflict between the need to be accurate and the desire to feel good about ourselves is one of the major battlegrounds of the self. And 
how this battle is waged and how it is won are central determinants of who we are and how we feel about ourselves. If the non-conscious mind is so sophisticated and so extensive, what is the function of consciousness? Do the conscious and non-conscious systems differ in fundamental ways, or do they perform the same tasks? Now, before considering how to best obtain self-knowledge, we need to make at least some headway on such questions as whether it makes any difference to know ourselves. Does gaining insight, becoming conscious of previously unknown things about ourselves, change anything? Does the person who has limited insight into the reasons for her actions, for example, behave any differently from the person who has great insight? We often experience a thought followed by an action, and then we assume it was the thought that caused the action. In fact, a third variable, a non-conscious intent, might have produced both conscious thought and the action. We know less than we think about our minds and exert less control over our own minds than we really think. And yet, we retain some ability to influence how our minds work, even if the adaptive unconscious is operating intelligently outside our purview. We can influence the information it uses to make inferences and form goals. Surprising, because one of the main things people want to know about themselves is the core of their personality. Am I truly an honest person? Do I have what it takes to be a successful teacher? Am I capable of being a good parent? This is the self that people want to uncover when they ask, who am I? It is the self that the Greek oracle Adelphi advised people to know, and the self to which, according to Shakespeare, we should all be true. But it makes little sense to talk about a single self when we consider that the both adaptive unconscious and the conscious self have regular patterns of responding to the social world. In recent years, the dominant area of personality research has been the trait approach, which attempts to isolate a small number of basic personality traits that are common to all people. Now, this approach is less concerned with theories about the origins of traits and more with quantitative analysis of the results of personality tests on which people rate their own or others' personalities. Sophisticated analyses have uncovered five basic traits. Extraversion, emotional stability, agreeableness, conscientiousness, and openness to experience. Implicit motives are needs that people acquire in childhood that have become automatic and non-conscious self-attributed motives are people's conscious theories about their needs. And they often differ 
from their non-conscious needs. Now, this separation between non-conscious and conscious motives may be very similar to the separation we encounter between non-conscious and conscious attachment styles. It is also characteristic of several other kinds of motives, such as dependency needs, people's desire to associate and interact with other people. One reason people fail to predict their own behavior very accurately is that they do believe that they are holier than thou and would be more likely than an average person to perform moral acts of kindness. Another is that people use different kinds of information when predicting their own versus other people's behavior. When predicting other people's actions, we rely mostly on our cumulative experience of how the average person would act, including our hunches, about the kinds of situational constraints people will face. Probably many people who intended to buy a flower will never walk past by one of the people selling them. But now, when predicting our own actions, we rely more on our inside information about our personalities. I am a kind of person who wants to help others. Now, this can be a problem for two reasons. Relying only on inside information causes people to overlook situational constraints on their actions, such as the possibility that they too will fail to pass by someone selling the flowers. Now, second, people's inside information is not the full story about their personalities and might not be completely accurate. To understand better our own non-conscious personality dispositions, we cannot simply remove the veil obscuring our view, for there is no direct view. Instead, we are forced to make educated guesses about our non-conscious dispositions. But why don't people realize eventually that their conscious conceptions are at odds with their non-conscious personality? Doesn't it seem that over time people would discover that they are not the person they thought themselves to be? Why didn't Henry Higgins eventually realize that he was not? the refined, kind-hearted gentleman who abhorred profanity. How can people be so out of touch? One reason is that people are motivated to have an overly positive view of themselves and avoid looking too closely at their warts and their flaws. There are four general types of information you can use to create an explanation. Number one, shared causal theories. There are many cultural theories about why people respond the way they do, such as absence makes the heart grow fonder, and people are in bad moods on Mondays. Number two, observations of co-variation between one's responses and prior conditions. People can observe their own responses and infer what is causing them. Number three, 
idiosyncratic theories. People have idiosyncratic theories about the causes of their responses that are not shared by the culture at large, such as the theory that going to large parties often makes them depressed. These theories might result from observation of co-variation. And number four, private knowledge, thoughts, feelings, and memories. Although access to one's own mind is not perfect, people have a wealth of privileged knowledge about their own conscious thoughts, feelings, and memories that they can use to deduce what is causing them to respond the way they do. Adaptive unconscious. It consists of a vast array of mental processes that can result in feelings which emerge into consciousness, mental selection, and interpretation can be non-conscious, but the feelings they do produce are conscious. The default is for feelings to emerge into awareness, and that it takes special circumstances to prevent them from doing so. We have seen three such circumstances. The first is repression whereby forces are brought into play to hide a threatening feeling, as in the case of homophobia. The second is inattention, or the failure to notice that a feeling has changed. The third is the obscuring of feelings by the smoke screen of people's conscious theories and confabulations. People fail to recognize a feeling or evaluation if it conflicts with a cultural feeling rule, like people love their ponies, or my wedding day will be the happiest time of my life. A personal standard, I am not prejudiced at all toward African Americans, or conscious theories and inferences about how one feels. I must love him because he conforms to my idea of Mr. Wright. People differ in the frequency with which they recognize their own feelings. Indeed, one definition of emotional intelligence is the ability to recognize one's wants, needs, joys, and sorrows. Some people are good at seeing through the smoke screen of their personal and cultural theories, recognizing when their feelings are at odds with these theories and standards. Other people are less skilled at this kind of self-awareness. Happiness and misery depend as much on temperament as they do on fortune. There are people who see a silver lining in every cloud, and there are disgruntled people who always see a rain cloud on the horizon. There is indeed evidence that happiness is a personality trait. and. A heritable one at that. Clearly, though, happy people are sometimes sad, and chronically grumpy people sometimes do manage to smile. The fact that happiness is partly heritable does not mean that people are stuck at one level of happiness that never wearies. One of the most important lessons from social psychology is that people are masterful spin doctors rationalizers and justifiers of threatening information.
and they go to great lengths to maintain a sense of well-being. And the psychological immune system operates largely outside of awareness. Now, given all the evidence for how resilient people are, it is striking that people do not realize this when predicting their emotional reactions to future events. Is there hope for improvement? What strategies work the best? Is it always wise to improve self-insight, or is a little self-delusion a good thing? Observing other people's reactions to us and reading the relevant psychological literature are not the only means of discovering the nature of our adaptive unconscious. Our own behavior is another source of information that can be quite telling. By being careful observers of our own actions, we can learn a lot about ourselves in addition if we want to change some aspect of our adaptive unconscious. A good place to start is deliberately to begin acting like the person we want to be. It is quite common for people to overlook situational influences on their actions, and in fear that they acted on the basis of their internal state. So common that this phenomenon is called the fundamental attribution error. And there you have it, strangers to ourselves, discovering the adaptive unconscious. Please do help out. It is easy. Simply like this video so more people can enjoy it. Share it too and spread the word. Leave a comment and do share your thoughts. Subscribe to my channel and stay up to date. And the link to this book is in the description below. So you buy it and you read and you never stop learning, especially learning about yourself and nature. So gift yourself by taking the free human needs test on my website. Find out what actually motivates you, what innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. And if you feel you are ready to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management and relationship management even further, then do check out my Master of Life Awareness program. The links are in the description below. Thank you. Love and respect.